Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to The History of a Haldeman. This is part one, the early years. Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. And of course, Lon is out on the road with Pack Tour. You're checking in from Blythe, California? No, actually, um, well, we're on the Route 66 tour now, which came through, you know, San Bernardino, then to Barstow, then to Ludlow, tomorrow, Needles. And so, um, actually, tonight, everybody's in Ludlow, which is kind of in the middle of the desert. I have to finish our third day. So, yeah, but we're on the Route 66 tour now. Now, being out on the road is nothing new for you. What was it that really got you interested in bicycles in the early years, Lon? Well, I grew up in northern Illinois, which, you know, was actually a perfect place to be a, you know, a 10, 11, 12-year-old riding because it was it was really safe. I mean, it was a grid work of farm roads. Um, I knew, you know, the next town was three miles away and, you know, I could ride my bike there, you know, you know, like a, just a one-speed, you know, kind of like a beach cruiser bike by today's standards. And so I would just go off and, and do these really, really long rides. So I thought, you know, a three-mile ride to a town, a five-mile ride, you know, uh, there was an ice cream shop 10 miles away that I'd ride to. And and I, I was really fortunate that my parents, they just let me go off and, and ride, you know, and I'd leave and, you know, wouldn't come back for three or four hours. So for me, it was a really gradual progression. You know, I didn't really have any other cyclists that I knew of. You know, there really weren't any other people with with lightweight bikes or good bikes or anything. So the stuff that we were riding was just uh, kind of beat of one-speed coaster brake bikes. But it also, I guess, in hindsight, gave me a, a gradual progression of actually feeling like I was accomplishing something. And I think that's really important when people are, are getting involved in cycling is, you know, they want to see some, some improvement. They, you know, they want to feel that they've, that they are getting better and, and they're having fun doing it. So for me, it was really, really gradual. I think I, I, you know, I charted my mileage and, you know, I mean, to go a hundred miles a week was, was a lot. And, and I think over one summer, I think I rode like a thousand miles. And I thought I was, you know, being really, really serious, you know, at that time, trying to go out and ride some every day. So, I mean, basically, I did like 100 days in a row of 10 miles, which, you know, was, was a lot. And 
so, you know, it's really safe. And, um, you know, nowadays I, I don't know how many parents would, you know, let their kids just take off and, and go off and do rides like that, you know, without being involved with a group or being with, you know, some other older experienced cyclists and stuff. So, um, I guess looking back on it, being able to, to grow up where I did was really the perfect environment for getting into cycling. Well, kind of following up on what you just said, what, did you enjoy being alone? Did you do much riding with friends or did your friends kind of think, wow, Lon's, there's no way we could do that? Well, actually, I, I did have some some friends who, who, again, had beater bikes and stuff, and we would um, we would ride up to a lake that was near our house. It was probably 12 miles away. And I remember probably the summer I was in seventh, eighth grade, you know, about that time, you know, doing these rides, you know, 25 mile round trip. Uh, and with, with my friends, you know, doing that, and it was going to the beach to go swimming or something at the lake. Uh, you know, we would do that on the weekends or maybe, you know, one day a week or something, but, I was doing more stuff just on my own cruising around the rest of the week. So uh, I was probably considered kind of an oddball, you know, at that time, you know, going off and, and riding like that all the time. Now you're built like a linebacker. Is there, did you ever have interest in any other sports like football? Well, yeah, I, I played, you know, um, high school football and then, uh, and then I was, well, I was a quarterback in, in high school. So I was, you know, I was, I was pretty serious about, about football. And, and then in the winter we had basketball and then actually we had a really competitive uh, playground league that we, we would play in the spring and in, throughout high school, that was, that was big deal. So my, really my cycling season was only during the summer months. And then after I graduated from high school, I really made a, I guess, more of a, of a conscious effort to, to be a, a serious cyclist. And so, you know, I got, well, I got a pretty nice bike when I was a, a freshman in high school, and I basically burned that out. I mean, it was a, a $69 AMF bike in a box that I had won at a bike on and I basically wore it out that summer. Then my sophomore year, I got a better bike that was, like $169, kind of like a Schwinn Latour type bike. And I used that for sophomore, junior years. And then I graduated from high school. And I remember having a conversation with my mom and dad about, you know, I wanted to get this Schwinn Voyager, which was $349. And they were going to buy it as a graduation present from high school. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll justify it. You know, I can, uh, you know, I'll ride it a lot and stuff. And so that's really when I, I guess I, I felt a commitment to be become a, a serious cyclist and I rode that bike a, a lot. I mean, it actually had some good components on it, like the race, uh, cranks and, and stuff, but it was kind of a touring bike. And, um, I rode it with my brother and we would have did a loaded touring trip from Illinois up to, uh, Northern Wisconsin towards Duluth and, and up that way. Um, so, uh, I was, a you know, considering, you know, trying to be a, a serious cyclist uh, at that point. And uh, there again, looking back on it, the stuff that I was riding wasn't the, the greatest equipment in the world, but I mean, this is like 19, 
1976, and, uh, you know, a Schwinn Paramount, which was the, the top of the line, you could get for about $650 uh, back then. So um, I had probably the, at that time, I considered almost the, the best bike I could ever get, you know, because I didn't know that much about bikes anyway, but um, I really uh, just enjoyed riding, you know, and so for it was, it was, again, a gradual progression of learning about bikes and, and also getting stronger. Now, when did you get your first exposure to bicycle racing? Well, after I graduated from high school, I, I had some offers to play college football. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, yeah, sure, it's it's nice to get, get a scholarship or it's nice to go, go play college football. But I, you know, I weighed 185 pounds or something at the time. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really uh, built to be a football player um, at, at that level. And, and I really enjoyed the cycling, and so that's why I guess I I decided to to really concentrate on on cycling. And so I actually did get involved in racing, uh, some criterium races, things with the with the local bike club, and I'd ride thirty forty miles over to the next big city basically, and and go do their twenty five mile criterium, and then ride home. And so I did things like that, and I was I was okay, but I wasn't I wasn't great. I was kind of just a middle of the pack kind of rider. But I really enjoyed the you know going places, and so that's why in the late seventies then I started you know plotting out these these longer events, and there, there weren't double centuries because I, I remember a, a, a cyclist at the time from California who had done. The Davis Double Century, which, you know, how many years have we been doing that? Some, have you done it 40 years? You know, like the late 70s. But I remember this rider saying, oh, there's a thing called the Davis Double Century. But those people are really animals. You know, you could never do that. I mean, it's really a long way and kind of stuff. But I was interested in that kind of riding at that time. And had I probably grown, grown up in a California culture or someplace around more serious riders, maybe I would have developed quicker um or i i'm not sure what what i would have done but i guess part of my interest in cycling was you know planning out these these long rides and so um i think it was probably 1978 uh i did a ride starting at lake superior in the northern part of wisconsin and it was 407 miles back down to the illinois border and i went up there with a with a friend in a van. It took us like all day to drive up there. It took forever. It seemed like we got up there. I went to bed like it was after midnight in a tent because there was no, no place to stay. We didn't really plan this out very well where we were going to stay or anything. And then I got up at like six in the morning and got on the bike and my friend was going to crew for me. And I basically, we, you know, took pictures of my odometer and we tried to document this as best we could. You know, there were no really official routes and judges and anything. But anyway, so I started at 6 a.m. and I started off racing to Illinois. And it was on a one-speed bike, you know, with a 42-14 gear. It was actually my old Voyager, which now I had for two years. And I had kind of worn out all the derailleurs and parts and it evolved into a, just a one-speed. And so that's the bike I was riding. And... So my friend, who was crewing for me along the way, well, his idea of crewing was to go fishing. 
and so he would go fishing at creeks and whatever, and lakes and whatever, and I would see him occasionally, you know, no, no, nothing routine, nothing like every hour, every two hours, and I saw him several times throughout the day, and I'd stop and fill up my water bottles and put some granola bars in my pocket and stuff, and did that all during daylight hours, and probably did, well, probably did over 200 miles or so in the first 12 hours, I know for sure, because my parents then met me with the car, and they actually, you know, by now it's sundown, you know, it was in June, so sundown was 9 o'clock or so, but um, I'd probably gone 250 miles or so, and then my parents actually stayed with me the rest of the night, driving behind me in a station wagon, and we finished up in um, at the Illinois State Line, and we did 407 miles in 23 hours and seven minutes. And, you know, we thought that was like a record of, of all time standard, you know, but which actually it, it was, I mean, it was a probably pretty good, was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a, pr- a pretty good time. I, you know, I, I don't know if nowadays I, I couldn't go back and, and duplicate that. So, um, it's, it was a, a pretty good standing record. I think that, that was even accepted by the UMCA because we did documentation and there actually was some, newspaper coverage, and we had a lot of articles and pictures and stuff. But I really enjoyed doing that, and a lot of it was point-to-point. It was part of it. And and this is before I really knew anything about long-distance riders. You know, Of course, there was no race across America. And it was before I really knew about John Marino. And, and I think that year is when John Marino did his first transcontinental record of 13 days uh, from Los Angeles to New York. And there was an article in Bicycling Magazine. And, of course, there was such a delay. You know, he did the record in in the summer, and it doesn't come out until the October issue. And so then I said, oh, that's kind of neat, you know. And so I, I really started thinking about doing more long-distance rides. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we need to race across the country. So the next year, then I started doing more long-distance things. And I was still doing weekend double century rides. I had a, a good friend, Ken Roanhouse, who would, and he was, well, I was, let's see, I was about 19 or 20 years old, and Ken was like 40 years old, and 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 he was getting interested in long-distance cycling, too. Well, it turned out he ended up being the Wisconsin 40-year-old state champion, um, and so he was really a, you know, time trial uh, rider, and you know, he was really a good rider, but so he'd worked me over pretty good uh, for speed work, but I, I had pretty good endurance. And so we would ride every weekend. He'd meet me at the house and we'd ride somewhere and go to a, a club century ride or do something. Now I got to ask a question. I, Are you still on the single speed Schwinn Latour? A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the bike. And I'm trying to think when I, I started working at the bike shop, probably in 1979 and then um i actually got a a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A shifting bike, um a pretty nice bike again about that time in 78, which was good. But I, I think I still set it up at like a, it was like a five speed because I remember I had like a 52 two front chain ring and, and like a, a 1321 freewheel. And I went to the, a double century ride in Southern Illinois. And I rode a, a nine hour double century on that bike, which was, considered pretty fast, you know, at the time. And so that's, I do remember I did have the, a derail your bike at that time. And I've got one other question for you. You had said that that 407 miles was accepted by the UMCA, but at that time there was no UMCA, correct? Right. Right. So you held that, kept the records and turned them in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was back, you know, we started the UMCA in 1982 and so there was a thing, a category called state cross state records. And so, oh, okay. I mean, there was only a handful of state records at the time. And and so Moreno and Shermer and the guys in charge of it, they said, yeah, you've got this well documented. You know, we'll call it a record. Give somebody else something to shoot for. Um, and I think that record got broken I don't know, 15 years ago, probably, but I don't think it wasn't on a one speed bike. It was somebody did it, you know, broke it on a, on a real bike. Um, but it's probably a one speed record. It probably still stands. But anyway, so those were the kind of things I started doing, you know, in, in, in preparation of wanting to do, um, a, a coast to coast ride. Cause in 1979, I believe I did, uh, a ride, I think actually probably it's June of 1980, I did an event where I rode 300 miles down to Southern Illinois on a Friday. Then the triple century was on Saturday and I rode that in about 15 hours. And then I rode back on Sunday. So I did like 920 miles in three days. And in, that was actually a great tune-up for getting ready to do transcontinental racing. And, you know, those kind of things were, you know, self-planned, self-promoted events, more or less. And and so that was 1980, and that's really when I met Susan Notarangelo, and we started corresponding. And, well, actually, in September of that year is when I did the bicycle across Missouri, which was 540 miles uh, back and forth across Missouri. And Susan was on that ride as the only woman's finisher and I was the men's uh, winner of that. And I don't know, the time wasn't that great. It was probably 32 hours or something. But 
anyway, it was a really good tune-up again for getting ready for a cross-country ride. And then um, in 1981 is when I finally was able to uh, to do the double transcontinental from New York to Washington, just back to New York. And that is going to be the subject of part two, because I would really like to spend an entire show talking about the double transcon. Um, maybe tonight, if we could get into some of the planning that actually went into that. I mean, you've met Susan. Your parents yeah. obviously liked what you were doing. They came out and followed you through the night on your 400-mile ride, 407-mile ride. What was the reaction from your center of influence when you brought up doing a double transcontinental? Well, yeah, I guess that's a, that's another big a big factor of of the support that I had, you know, from my from my parents. I mean, they had always been very supportive of, you know, they came to every seventh and eighth grade basketball game and every freshman football game. I mean, they went, you know, they wouldn't, they didn't miss a single game for, I don't know how many, you know, years of junior high and high school. And so they were really very supportive. And so when we started doing these longer rides, you know, they were logistically a big, a big part of that. And, and so they, they knew I was really interested. And so now 1980, you know, I was like 22 years old still living in, at home, working at the bike shop 45 miles away. And all those factors actually was the, it was the perfect training routine because, you know, 45 miles to ride to work, and then I'd take the long way on the way home. So I was doing, you know, 100 miles a day, six days a week, and then going off on a, on a Sunday and going riding a double century or triple century somewhere. So, you know, I was knocking off 800 to 1,000 miles a week, um, very routinely and, and, you know, basically living at home. And I mean, and that was, that was my life and living on the bike, you know, going to bed at uh, nine o'clock at night and getting up the next morning and doing it all over again. So I had no social life at all. Um, but it was just this focus about doing these, these long rides. And I had a scrapbook that I kept and every little clipping I found in Velo News or bicycling or anything to do with long distance riding or uh, nutrition or, you know, even equipment and stuff, you know, I had this, this whole scrapbook that I, that I kept. And so, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a very good student. I had gone to junior college for three years and I, I still hadn't graduated even with an associate's degree. So I wasn't, you know, and I was like, boy, do I go back for the fourth year at a two years college, you know, trying to get a degree. And so I took that money and said, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to spend it on a, a transcontinental. So, you know, we had really no idea what the whole thing budget was going to cost. But I think I had like, you know, $6,000 or something saved up that I was going to, going to use. And so as we're getting ready, you know, for this, uh, trying to break, Marino's transcontinental record he set in 1980, which was 12 days, three hours. So um, that was my big focus going into 1981. And so we're, you know, trying to figure out how to do this from Santa Monica City Hall to New York City Hall. And my dad was writing letters to the Department of Transportation and bike clubs and everybody along the way trying to get ideas about the route and 
you know, this was before there's Google Maps or, or anything. I mean, and we basically had some AAA maps where we could have a magic marker line across the country on. And after a lot of planning all fall, I remember I was riding rollers in the basement, you know, knocking off my, you know, 50 to 75 miles a day, even all winter long. And my dad was telling me what he had come up with. I said, you know, the double transcontinental record is is 36 days. I said, wouldn't it be neat to try to break the double transcontinental record and the single transcontinental record, you know, on the same trip? And he said, yeah, that would be. Since we got the route set, let's use it both ways. So it was a basically a five-minute discussion about going from the single transcontinental to the double transcontinental. And that was done sometime in the winter, probably January. And so we kind of started thinking, well, when can we do this record ride? And we came up with a date of mid-June as a starting point. And so that really solidified our focus, you know, that now we knew what we were going to do. And uh, logistically, you know, trying to get everything together, trying to rent motorhomes, trying to come up with a crew and, and all that. And, and we really didn't know too much what we were doing, you know, and that's probably is a good thing because, first of all, I really had never ridden in the east much. I had ridden a little bit in Colorado. I kind of knew what a mountain was, but I had no idea what the desert was. I mean, I I had no idea had anything about about the United States. So, um so, so for us to make that decision, it was like, oh, yeah, we're going to ride double transcontinental. It was uh, really, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. It's just that that's what we wanted to, to do. And so that's kind of how the decisions came about. It, was, it wasn't with a whole lot of thought and preparation, you know, that we finally came up with what we were going to do. And I just look at this. You have no role model. You have no one who's done it before you. There are. I mean, you're talking about articles about nutrition. I doubt there were very many of them. There are no coaches that specialize in what you're doing. You're you're coming up with this all of all on your own. Were you communicating with John Marino at all? No, no, I, I wasn't. I, you know, I I would have loved to uh, talk to to John Marino or somebody that had some experiences. You know, but I, I read all the articles that were about his transcontinentals in 78, 79, 1980, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's the, that was the hardest part of, of just learning that. And, you know, nowadays, I think we were, we were discussing this a, a few shows ago about, you know, nowadays people can dial up on the internet and read, you know, thousands of testimonials about what to do and what not to do. Um, we didn't have any of that. And so, that's why well, people question, like, well, why did you do that? That was really stupid. And I go, well, because we didn't know any better. And so we, we learned a lot um, in a hurry. But also by the those state, cross-state records and various things that I had been doing, we we, we learned quite a bit, you know. But even nutritionally, um, we didn't know why certain things worked. You know, we even messed around with liquid diets, like carnation instant breakfast, um, which actually wasn't wasn't a bad thing to be, you know, drinking at at the time, and so we were we were dabbling around with things like that, um, but uh, you know we couldn't explain why it worked and why you know why we should be 
eating a certain amount of calories or whatever. And I mean, even nutritionally over the last, what, 30 years, I mean, you know, the opinions have changed a lot on what should work and what, you know, the best thing to do. But, you know, we still experimented around. I got to know my body, you know, what would work for me. And um, so, I, you know, I guess the, the, the point was is that it was a lot, a lot of trial and error. And a lot of things didn't work, and uh, or, you know, even even equipment-wise, um, you know, uh, the, you know, I guess the the story we're talking about is, you know, I, I saw riders with black shorts, and why do they have black shorts? And so, you know, I went and got my Sunday school pants and double knits and cut them off and hemmed them up and. Now I had black shorts. I didn't really understand that they were supposed to have chamois or, you know, using any type of lubes or anything else, but I'm just riding around in double-knit dress pants, you know, made made to look like cycling shorts. And same thing with, like, cycling shoes. You know, I had my, my gym shoes, and I traced my foot on a, a piece of sheet metal and cut it out with some heavy-gauge tin snips and rolled an arch into them and stuff and then, you know, made some cycling shoes with stickers out with uh, sheet metal insoles. And so that's the kind of equipment I was, I was using at the time. And as we got, you know, closer to the double transcontinental, you know, by that time in my career, I, you know, I started understanding, oh yeah, you know, you can really, you know, well, Lycra really wasn't even invented until that year. I've got the first pair of Lycra shorts, probably three months before that double transcontinental up to that point I'd been wearing wool and so that's how this much the sport has changed you know people nowadays could never imagine not having lycra but I mean lycra wasn't even popular then until tell you know the you know that early 80s there so you know it was um you know, trial and error on, on just about everything we did. And um, like I say, a lot of it didn't work. And, you know, but, but a lot of it ended up working and, and it ended up being setting kind of a standard for, for people for a lot of years later, you know, because well, we can, you know, talk about these other races, you know, down the road. But some of the things we did ended up setting precedents for the way, you know, people thought that, that they should ride. And so some of it did work. And that is where we're going to pick up part two next week as we head toward Lon Haldeman's record-setting double transcontinental ride. Lon Haldeman, thanks very much for joining us. Yes, it was uh, good. It's fun to remember some of that old stuff. Well, I look forward to talking with you very, very soon. Again, you've been listening to The History of Haldeman, Part 1, The Early Years, Next up, we will be chatting about the Double Transcontinental. From Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 